The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. of cybersecurity. I'm Andy Pinello, pinch hitting for George Reedus. I want to emphasize that all opinions expressed on the show are my own, not that of my present or past employers. I'll never disclose any sensitive intelligence that I have been privileged to as a result of my current employment, and I will never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government. And anything I say during the show should be construed as legal or financial advice. Before we get started, I want to remind everyone that you can go online to the Cybersecurity Hub and read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at their very cool website, www.cshub.com. The Cybersecurity Hub is an online news source for global cybersecurity professionals and business leaders who leverage technology and services to secure their networks. The media professionals at the Cybersecurity Hub are dedicated to providing the latest industry news, thought leadership, and analysis in the cybersecurity space. So again, Check out a recap of tonight's show and to get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news, go to the Cybersecurity Hub at CSHUB.com. That's Cybersecurity Hub at CSHUB.com. Well, folks, last week we had a cybersecurity veteran, the director of sales threat intelligence for Looking Glass Cyber Solutions, and the founder of New York Enterprise Information Security Meetup Group, David Revive, on the show. Dave was great. I mean, what a great personality. He brought such a good perspective to the show. We discussed career lessons, some of his challenges he's faced uh, in in the various cybersecurity startups he's been a part of, the changing enterprise landscape. What a great background, right? Started his career in the Israeli Air Force as an unmanned vehicle pilot, uh, early employee of Herjavec Group, worked at Proofpoint, Code Green Networks, Fishnet Security, just an absolute professional. Talked about delivering consistency, value, and content. And uh, man, geez, we believe that same thing here at TF7. We talked about how the cybersecurity industry can be a negative industry from the pressures to avoid and recover from incidents. Man, recovering is such a big deal. I mean, when you got, you know, alert fatigue, false positive rates, you know, stressful situations, it's amazing. I think people forget that companies that are during the breach, you know, people, the companies grieve just like people grieve. Right, a lot of emotional roller coasters going on in those incidents that people are dealing with, and the cybersecurity, you know, the meetups help with that face-to-face interaction to help people actually recover uh, from the day job. David also had some great recommendations for people wanting to get into their cybersecurity startup space. Said it's all about passion, having the right team, and picking the right startup. I mean, you're placing some serious bets in your career, right? You want to pick the right one. Hopefully, you've got a good vision for where things are going before you before you do it. I also found it interesting that, you know, we talked about the fight or flight for cybersecurity jobs in New York, right? And the quality of life challenge that exists, right? Look, in every job, you got to weigh the pros and cons, right? But man, I thought he did a great job of really talking about the challenges that you have, uh, you know, working in major cities and how, you know, jobs are actually leaving major cities to go for uh, cities that have a little more quality of life. So it's forcing companies to think about their remote worker strategy and all the challenges that are um, coming up with that. Anyway, you know, qualified personnel are out there, right? I know we've got a big job shortage, but man, you know, it's uh, it's so true. You know, people are balancing, um, you know, their you know what they want out of their life. 
So if you missed last week's episode, don't sweat it. Just go to your favorite playback medium and you can catch it anytime at the top of the TF7 rate episode library. That's the complex world of cybersecurity startups on last week's episode. That's episode number 95 of Task Force 7 Radio. Well, if you're listening to us live on Voice America right now, or maybe someone just sent you the link to this episode, you might be wondering how you can listen to all previous Task Force 7 Radio episodes on playback. Just go to tf7radio.com and hit the episode tab at the top right homepage, the top right corner of the homepage. You'll find all the TF7 Radio episodes at your fingertips. You can also search our guest library, which is an impressive list of some of the most prolific cybersecurity professionals in the world. And of course, we have our news section as well, where you can check out all the latest cybersecurity news on Task Force 7 Radio. And you can even write comments on the different articles and topics we're talking about here. It's a lot of fun. We're on at least 11 different playback mediums now. We've made it easy for you to find them all. Just hit the subscribe button at the top right of the homepage, and you'll see the entire selection of playback mediums. And most importantly, you can subscribe to our show right from the TF7 radio site, which is the best way to stay connected to the TF7 family. This way, you'll get all the TF7 radio updates right from the site. And as the site gets more robust, you get notified of TF7 extras and encore episodes. And we'll, we'll get other TF7 news and events and information on the upcoming TF7 Network 2. So check us out, folks, at www.tf7radio.com to hear any of our episodes at your convenience 24-7, 365, anytime, anywhere around the globe. And as always, whatever you do, don't forget to subscribe. We'd love it when you subscribe. Well, this, this month is, marks the 10-year anniversary of an investigation that I worked and I just wanted to take a little bit of time to thank the great men and women that I've worked with in that investigation. So 10 years ago, folks, Albert Gonzalez, AKA Soup Nazi, AKA Segvec, AKA Kumba Johnny was indicted for the largest credit and debit card data breach ever charged in the United States. He and his group, they stole over 130 million credit and debit cards. And I just worked with such amazing people. I know we talk a lot about team building and diverse perspectives, bringing it all together. And that was just a great example. So, you know, coming up on that 10-year anniversary, I just want to thank everybody that we worked with uh, to make that case uh, amazing. You know, the Secret Service agents and the law enforcement professionals around the world, Department of Justice, just a great hallmark case. Uh, man, I felt like I received a PhD in a subject I couldn't go to school for. So we have another great guest for you this week, former Secret Service agent and Chief Cybersecurity Officer for Trend Micro. Ed Cabrera is coming on the show tonight. Ed Cabrera is responsible for analyzing emerging cyber threats to develop innovative and resilient enterprise risk management strategies for Fortune 500 clients and strategic partners. Before joining Trend Micro, he was a 20-year veteran and former CISO of the United States Secret Service with experience in leading information security, cyber investigative and proactive protective programs in support of the Secret Service integrated mission. He started his career investigating transnational cyber criminal groups targeting the financial payment system and retail sector, and later led cyber forensic operations in support of Secret Service large-scale data breach investigations. He then served as a Secret Service strategic advisor to the DHS National Cybersecurity and Communications Integration Center. We all know and love the NKIC. Hey, Ed. Welcome to the show, brother. Hey, Andy. It's great to be here tonight. Man, we've been friends for a really long time, man. You've had a really good career. It's been fun watching you progress, you know, from the government and law enforcement through, you know, to, uh, to the private sector. And, you know, you're doing really well at Trend. You know, and, and look, man, you know, on TF7, on your, you know, on your blog, you know, here you're talking a lot about, about risk. 
Um, and we're, we're doing it all the time here. And, and look, you know, the Secret Service is a large risk management organization. You know, you've got a, you know, 25 career, you know, year career managing risk. You know, tell me your view. What, what are the current and emerging risks as you see them? And then maybe we'll tackle what you're seeing over at Trent. And, you know, absolutely. It's been a, it's been a great ride, right? You know, transitioning from, you know, law enforcement and, and the work that we were doing there and then getting into the private sector. I mean, it's, a, it's been an incredible ride. But I think all throughout it, the one common theme is in risk management, right? I mean, from the civil, physical side to the cyber side, you know, risk management is at the core. So when you look at, you know, the risks that we collectively face, um, it varies, right? So we talk about the cyber criminal, we talk about nation state cyber espionage, hacktivist groups, and even getting into even cyber terrorism. But I think what we're seeing a lot of is this evolution of cybercrime, right? So I think what we're seeing coming out of uh, the Russian-speaking uh, cyber criminal underground, which we saw it, you know, collectively throughout these cyber investigations from the early 2000s, is that what we have now is crime as a service, right? I mean, right. ultimately they've been, you know, evolving. And where they started were providing ad hoc types of stolen car data, services, tools. Now it's, they're providing end-to-end -end services. And it's, it's pretty incredible, right? So it's that parallel uh, criminal commerce that's been fueling a lot of the, the attacks that we're seeing. So I think you know, the who is always very important. I mean, there's always that discussion of attribution and some people say it's really not important. I always say it's definitely important to the point of motivation. So a lot of what we're seeing is obviously, you know, financially induced cybercrime. And it's, it's been driving a lot, a lot of what we're seeing. I always say it's that rising tide that lifts off all boats. You know, right now, you don't have to be that technical. And if you're in that cyber criminal underground, Russian cyber speaking, uh, Russian criminal underground, all you need is to have some willingness and some connections, and you can start off pretty much doing what you want to get done. Yeah, I mean, it's really amazing how that's progressed, right? I mean, over the last, you know, 15 years or so, I mean, you know, I mean, trust is a big part of, you know, how they've been able to be successful, um, you know, but, you know, you talk about the Russian-speaking underground. I mean, how, how much has, like, the geopolitical landscape you know, kind of impacted the cybercrime world. And I know, you know, we were doing it and you're on the keyboard doing it. You know, we were, folks we were tracking, you know, there might be, uh, uh, Russia might engage in the, a national interest at some point and, you know, kind of the, you know, these underground criminals would be a little more empathetic to the cause, maybe not necessarily state directed. Um, you know, have you seen any shifts in any of that? You know, what's with the geopolitical landscape the way it is right now? No, absolutely. I mean, and you touched on a, on a great topic that I like to talk about when I talk about the criminal underground is trust. So what they've done is um, they have this culture that is very similar to, you know, um, the tech culture, right? It's a meritocracy. So just like tech startups, just like Silicon Valley, you know, I always talk about these crews coming together in a similar way. Uh, so I always think of the Russian speaking cyber criminal on the ground as like an incubator of sorts, right? So I think when they come together is that they're able to 
scale trust um, because of the nature, the way they operate. So if you look at a traditional organized criminal groups, the way they are able to operate, um, fear, intimidation, and violence is a primary factors uh, within that arena. Obviously, greed is being the most important. I think when you look at the Russian-speaking criminal underground, it's, it's the FOMO principle. It's the fear of missing out, right? It's the way they're able to come together and essentially trust each other on, on these attacks that where there's millions of dollars you know, to be, to be had and to be divided up. And yet they're, they're able to scale that trust. And so, I mean, so when you get into some of the motivations and the way they operate, it's been sort of feeling this whole notion of which you've, you've gotten those questions. And I, and I think less is it a question now is this whole relationship between nation state and cyber criminals and cyber criminal groups. There's always that question of who's working for who. And I think that still resonates. However, I think when you look at some of these um, uh, capabilities in these groups, the, the proxy, you know, that cyber pay, uh, patriot group type of activities, it's pretty, uh, it's become pretty, um, pretty much something that we see almost every day, right? So be it the political, um, you know, uh, cyber propaganda uh, induced by some of the campaign activities back in 2016 to what we see today. So we wrote a lot on Pondstorm or APT28 and how they evolved from a traditional cyber espionage group uh, into a cyber propaganda group, right? So I think this evolution of these groups and some of their, their activities, uh, but also what their outcomes are, are becoming. Uh, you have North Korea and, and they've gone from traditional cyber espionage and they've been evolving into cyber crime, right? So, uh, and who would have thought that we would have nation state groups truly focused on, you know, uh, financially driven cyber attacks. So yeah, the motivation is critical, right? And we talk a lot about like how do we how do we defend against you know that, and really trying to dive into detection around motivation is important. When, you know, what, what, tell me a little bit about the work you're doing at Trend and kind of how that's you know fueling the market today. Yeah, it's one of the reasons why I jumped over to Trend after leaving the Secret Service was primarily the, the, primarily they do a lot of great research, right? So uh, we have over 450 threat and vulnerability researchers throughout the globe. And I think uh, it was probably one of the uh, uh, only organizations almost four years ago that was really out there doing that, that research that was similar to the type of uh, knowledge gathering or intelligence gathering that we were doing. So I think that really brought me over. And so what I've been doing is sort of, um, you know, we're a 30 year cybersecurity solution provider um, and what we've been doing is sort of evolving and my role has been working with our research and development teams to really from research threat vulnerability research, but then driving innovation on the product side and support for our customers. So it's one of those things of, uh, oftentimes all organizations get stovepiped. And so it's been, 
you know, uh, my, my work has been really, you know, wearing a lot of different hats, a lot of dotted lines to be able to bridge the gap from research to uh, threat research, vulnerability research, but to the products, to our customers and provide the best support we could possibly can. Yeah, I mean, we start getting into the vulnerability conversation, right? You can't help but talk about likelihood and impact, right? You know, can, can you talk a little bit about, you know, probabilities and likelihood and kind of how you guys are assessing all that? Yeah, no, absolutely. Right. And so risk, you know, at its core, it's all about likelihood and impact. Right. And so, you know, uh, it's truly, uh, you know, to, to protect all is to, to protect none, so to speak. Right. So you cannot really get to what you need to do unless you prioritize. And so if a lot of the stuff that we do around vulnerability research um, really got amplified when we acquired tipping point, uh, from HP and then along with it we have the zero-day initiative and so that zero-day initiative is really important for us because we're able to leverage over 30 vulnerability researchers in the community to be able to essentially find those bugs that are out there and then be able to provide immediate protection within our product line right so vulnerability research is critical so, so, this is a, that. So, this, so this is a different than like a bug bounty program. You're talking about, you know, guys out there and the guys and girls out there in the underground, you know, that are really part of like hardcore malware research that are, you know, uncovering or you're creating partnering around the zero day world. Can you explain that? So I make sure we clear that up. So I'll make sure. So, so absolutely. So zero day initiative is, is essentially this autonomous uh, entity, uh, I say semi-autonomous, it's a part of Trend Micro, but what we do is we have our own vulnerability researchers that are diving deep and trying to find those bugs, but what we're doing with the Zero Day Initiative is to be able to provide um, direction on what, you know, bugs or what um, operating systems or or, uh, software we want to, to sort of focus in on, and then we leverage the 30 plus researchers out there um, who do, do not work directly for Trend to be able to, to dig into those uh, operating systems and applications to find those vulnerabilities. And so um, it's essentially where we're able to force multiply, you know, the vulnerability side of the house and the protection for our customers. Because I think, you know, there's a technical side when it comes to vulnerabilities, but you can pretty much also with that look at, you know, the systemic right and the process problem right every every data breach out there you can pretty pretty much point to the the people and process problem um as a root cause right the technical piece is there but it's really the people and process and so uh, that's the other piece is really focusing from our perspective is, is to to look at um what are some of the systemic vulnerabilities or what are some of the, the process vulnerabilities and to be able to do what we can on our solution set to enable our customers. So, I mean, I, I think, you know, we look at this and we immediately, immediately look at, um, uh, you can, you can look at Equifax or, or, or this or that or the other where uh, vulnerability management is really uh, strictly focused on, but it's the really the, the people in the process piece that really enabled that unfortunate breach. Right. So, yeah, and I, so, you know, I mean, I, I, that's a great, that's a great call out, right? I mean, we talk about security remediation or vulnerability management. I think let's, uh, let, let's bring that up. But right now we're going to, folks, we got to take a transition to a commercial break. 
So, hey, if you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and even Instagram by searching at TF7 Radio. You'll be connected to the extended TF7 family on your favorite social media platform. For inquiries regarding sponsoring the show or suggestions for topics or guests, please email me directly or George directly at george.redis at tf7radio.com. That's george.redis at tf 7 that's with the number seven, radio.com. I want to remind our audience that we're building the world's premier cybersecurity professional network, Task Force 7. We're really excited about this, folks. Tune in over the next several months for more information on this much-needed and much-awaited-for network. We're going to solve some problems together, promise you. Task Force 7, get in the fight. We're going to pause for some quick messages from our sponsors, and then we'll be right back with our special guest, the Chief Cybersecurity Officer for Trend Micro, Ed Cabrera. So whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. We're not your typical security vendor. In fact, the script for this ad was written by an engineer, not a marketing guru. Because at SOC Prime, we're focused on features that matter to our users. Our threat detection marketplace has over 30,000 cross-platform SIM and EDR rules. Our downloadable Sigma, Yara, and Snort detections can be deployed with just a few clicks. And our map to the MITRE ATT&CK framework, enabling quicker and more strategic detection. With support from SOC Prime's veteran team and our community of contributors, we bridge the blue team skills gap and cover emerging threats with daily releases of new content. Nearly three quarters of the threat detection marketplace is free to download. Register for free at tdm.socprime.com with promo code radio 2019 to receive one free key to unlock premium content. That's tdm.socprime.com promo code radio 2019. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at Secure. Security-innovation.org or Google Signet S-I-N-E-T. Account takeover is the fastest growing form of cyber attack. Criminals exploit compromised accounts for financial gain, often causing irreparable and long-term damage to finances and reputation. Many companies think they're protected. They believe using a password manager, multi-factor authentication, behavior-based technology, password rotations, or solutions that scan the deep and dark web is enough. Yet the account takeover problem only continues to get worse. SpyCloud combines human intelligence and automated technology to prevent account takeover for your customers and employees. We recover stolen credentials early in the account takeover lifecycle before the credentials are sold on dark forums. Check your exposure for free at spycloud.com. 
email is having an identity crisis. It's just too easy for attackers to spoof trusted brands or even the government. That's why over 80% of email attacks are based on fake identities. The solution is to stop the fakes before they get to the inbox. That's why enterprises use Valley Mail. It's a trusted identity-based email security solution. Find out if your domain can be spoofed and request a complete free phishing analysis at valleymail.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, Chief Cybersecurity Officer for Trend Micro, Mr. Ed Cabrera. Ed, you know, we started at the top of the show talking about security remediation and vulnerability management, you know, and how it's a people process technology issue. You know, can you just talk a little bit about uh, what you're seeing there and kind of how companies can fix this problem a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I think where this... The, the trends on the, on the risk side are that everything is pretty much speeding up, right? The, the speed and impact of attacks today are really much more affecting uh, the operational risk side of the house. Whereas traditional cyber attacks have really impacted uh, reputational risk uh, around the data theft uh, side of the house. But I think now it's the operational risk. And I think when you look at what I talked about briefly about ransomware and the cybersecurity or rather the, the threat landscape, how it's evolved, it's created this ransomware as a service within the criminal underground. So what does that mean? So from a ransomware perspective, let me sort of uh, bring us back a little bit. In 2015, we were only, I think, blocking and tackling around 92 different unique ransomware families you get into the 2016 that jumped to about 247 um, unique ransomware families so what does that tell you it tells you that there is an incredible investment uh, from the cyber criminal underground on this type of attack right Um, and as you know and i know cyber criminals do not do anything unless there is a return on investment So to show that they're actually doing much more, uh, you know, malware development, ransomware development, focusing their efforts is because they're making money. And so I always look at ransomware as this line of business, right? Because all these types of attacks in my mind are, are lines of business coming out of these criminal enterprises. And what's unique about the ransomware side of the house is that, you know, the traditional, you know, attack, that we've seen for many, many years still exists today, but is, you know, you can take it out of any kind of cybercrime handbook. It's, there's many chapters in that cybercrime handbook, 
but you know, the first chapter is about, you know, identifying who you're going to target and chapter two is about, you know, conducting that attack. Well, with ransomware, uh, you pretty much are there. You're able to monetize it. You know, traditional types of data breach uh, attacks, it takes months um, for them to monetize their attacks. Ransomware, on the other hand, is like direct sales and direct marketing. They're able to quickly uh, have a turnaround on their investment. So I think that's why, you know, even though uh, the trend that we've seen even from 2017, so 17, it picked up on unit, unique ransomware families, um, but then the total amount of attacks started to drop. So when you look at that, you're thinking, hmm, that's interesting. Then we tied that too with the, the rise of Bitcoin mining and so forth. And so Bitcoin mining became another line of business, right? Where uh, to a lesser extent, but still an impact on operations is the Bitcoin mining. So you see this sort of um, you know, evolution uh, of them moving to where they know that they can make a lot of money and quickly. And so what does that mean? We talk about systemic vulnerabilities. For organizations, that means that you know incident response teams, their cyber threat intelligence teams have to be much more nimble and quick. Um, so the traditional reactionary mindset from an incident response has to really quickly change because you need to be able to instead of respond in say days and weeks, you have to be able to respond in, in minutes and hours. So that incident response plan when it comes to ransomware is critical right so because now you're actually trying to identify these types of attacks quickly and although they're not hiding they're pretty much putting it in your face but there is that level of of you know that what they've done in the past from a ransomware attack is spray and pray now they're doing much more of a a targeted type of attack meaning that they're blending your traditional data breach type of uh, tactics and techniques that we see, you know, uh, really well documented in the MITRE attack framework. Uh, and then you're utilizing that as the precursor into then deciding, okay, is this organization, because they're prioritizing, they're realizing, is this organization vulnerable to a ransomware attack? Are they, have they been known to pay? So in the last two to three years, we've seen almost this uh, growing uh, types of attacks in certain sectors that have become profitable. So they know that, uh, say, healthcare is pretty profitable. Now you see in the news all the time is municipalities and, and, and small government entities being attacked, and they're paying. So what does that mean? That drives their motivation to continue those types of attacks. So really, operational risk is key. So the systemic piece is, is critical and that's why, I mean, that's why we, we really focused it from a research perspective as well. So, so the, the thing that we try to do is identify what are the current trends, right? And try to predict where they're going next. And, and then what do we have to do from a security solution perspective to pivot and to become much, much better at uh, detecting blocking? And so that's uh, this, as a matter of fact, last week we announced our uh, Trend Micro XDR solution. And what that is, it's sort of changing the game. Uh, we've always espoused uh, connected threat defense, uh, and that is key, right? Because today you have organizations with 60 plus uh, uh, 
different security solutions that are not really talking to each other, not really integrated. And that creates a systemic vulnerability within the organization because now you're relying on people to do a much better job of connecting dots through all these consoles. So the XDR um, solution is creating integration, automation, and analytics to improve that. So where EDR has been really the, um, the focus area from a threat hunting perspective and, and the success there, but now we're saying, hey, it's not just EDR, we're saying XDR, meaning that it's the endpoint, it's network, it's cloud, it's gateway, email, web, and so forth. So yeah, there's I mean, the enterprise landscape, right? Has changed so much. The attack surface is different, right? The way we protect it and where we have to have visibility is completely different than you know a few years ago. Um, you know, totally get it. Um, can you? You know, it's always interesting when we talk vulnerability, right? You you kind of highlighted you know the arms race, right? That you know we're in in terms of. Um, you know, fixing vulnerabilities or systemic vulnerabilities faster than, you know, the bad guys. And, you know, obviously you talked earlier about, you know, how trend is trying to be as close to that threat as possible. That was a big theme in our old teams, right? We'd be as close to that threat as possible to understand where they're, where they're going to be next um, and what the impacts are. Like how can private, you know, sector organizations, you know, kind of get ahead of that and, and how much reliance do, do they need to have on, you know, kind of external threat teams and research teams to, to get there? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, anything and everything that we do in our industry, um, you're, you're only as good as the network that you have, right? So I think um, we, we've heard the term that you, you have to be a network to, to defeat a network. And it is truly a network in the cyber criminal underground space. Uh, but I would even say from a nation state perspective. Now they have their own obviously capabilities, but the cyber criminal on the grounds and the tools, techniques, and tactics coming into the cyber criminal on the ground. When you look at it from a nation state perspective, why would you try to create something new when you know that something is already out there that works just as well? So from a network perspective, Trend Micro has always been dedicated to um, you know, really doing the partnership piece um, at the technical level, the operational level, and at the strategic level. So at the technical and tactical, I think what organizations need to do is really engage, right? And so, uh, you know, I, I can't say enough, um, the value and the benefit of, you know, the U.S. Secret Services Electronic Crimes Task Forces, uh, but there's many other organizations out there from the ISACs and ISAOs, um, and you even have uh, FBI and Cyber Task Force. Uh, so here, is our opportunities where private industry can really do something not only for the quote unquote greater good, um, but also um, but also to help protect their customers as well. Because it's, it's this deep understanding of the threats that you face uh, collectively or by sector um, is only where you really begin to grow on how do you protect um, yourself. So I think this partnership and collaboration is critical, right? We talk about the cyber criminal on the ground and trust. They've been scaling trust for the last 15 years quite easily, right? We haven't right. done a good job on our side. So I think what organizations do is that step is engage, right? Engage, collaborate, and, you know, communicate. And so what we've done for the last 30 years is at the tactical level is work with international law enforcement uh, from 
Secret Service, FBI, uh, NCA, uh, National Crime Agency, and, and the Dutch. Um, so we've been working together as we find things from our traditional research within these cyber criminal undergrounds. If we find some uh, criminal activity and that we are, we can help, you know, essentially the cause, then we reach out, right? We reach out right away to our law enforcement uh, partners and to be able to say, hey, this is what we found and sort of work hand in hand and to progress that investigation, right? Um, and, and I say it, it's both ways. I mean, I think when you look at that partnership, it pays dividends, right? Uh, because if you don't already have those engagements, when it's time for law enforcement to make that notification to you, um, they're not trying to find somebody within your organization to reach out to and then possibly miss, right? I don't know how many um, times that we do that, right? You pick up the, you had exactly. to go and find a, you, know, you didn't have that, that person in your Rolodex, right? It's a, it's a big, it's a big miss. So let me uh, ask you, like, yeah. why are organizations having a hard time prioritizing their mediation efforts from your view? I, I think the biggest problem for them is, you know, is they're not doing a good, good enough job, I say, because it's a challenge, don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm not saying that, hey, um, they have to uh, do a better job of cleaning the house. It's just today's organizations, let's just look at the, the data life cycle, right? Or the data supply chain. We talk about supply chain risk as far as hardware goes, but data supply chain. How many organizations today rely on other organizations to uh, collect analyze process data that is critical to their to their business functions right and so it's not only external but it's also internal i think companies and organizations struggle on the data risk discussion in other words what is critical data within your organization where is it housed where is it stored and and definitely mapping it to the business function and because i think that helps on the back end, once you're able to map your data well, map that infrastructure that supports that data, apply the appropriate amount of risk management and security controls around that data, then, then you're in a much better spot. And I think organizations struggle in that sense because oftentimes we're in that old mindset of, let's take vulnerability management, okay? We have to patch everything. There's a critical high vulnerability that comes out. We have to patch it. When that challenge that every CISO says is like, there's just no way. I have to prioritize my vulnerability management or else it's just not going to work. So it's not only the first step, which is awareness, understanding your risk, understanding your environmental risk, but then it is the prioritization piece. How do you prioritize with uh, security tools, infrastructure to protect it, but how do you prioritize the vulnerability management of those assets? It's, it seems to me like, you know, it's obviously not just a technical conversation, right? It's, it's the engagement with the business and understanding how, you know, the business processes occur and what the gaps there are and, you know, how to constantly work. So I think a lot of times we focus, you know, folks focus on the technical components of that and, and really don't focus on you know, reverse engineering the processes of how the business exactly. runs, you know, so I feel like, you know, if we can really get better at that, you know, which, you know, kind of leads me down the path of thinking like, you know, we talk about having diverse perspectives and diverse teams, you know, if we can't just build, you know, high, highly functioning technical teams, we've got to have highly functional, you know, kind of business, 
you know, oriented teams, um, which kind of gets back into the cyber workforce piece, you know, and, you know, but before, before we touch that though, I did have one more question for you around, you know, kind of the, the, the stick or the carrot, right. You know, as you, mm-hmm. you start to do vulnerability management and, and mediations, you know, I, what's your take on how organizations are tackling that? Has there been a shift in, you know, kind of punishment versus risk, you know, versus reward? Yeah, let, let, let's take the, the awareness piece, right? So I think uh, the misnomer or the, uh, the problem that people often discuss as a metric is that uh, we look at, you know, user training and awareness. It is critical. Absolutely. I don't, um, I don't discount that. What I'm saying is that when you look at the organizations that actually truly have been impacted, and have uh, had a breach, they've had training and awareness. It is, the, it, it is the fact that they have seen or have been pressured because of mission objectives, uh, cultural, um, you know, um, business culture to say, okay, yeah, security is there, but I have to really respond quickly on this to meet my business objectives. So awareness is only sort of, you know, the beginning, it's almost like compliance when it comes to security. Awareness is just the beginning. It's how do you, um, how do you have your user base engage and take ownership, right? So I think some of the trends that I saw or had been seeing is really interesting is we, we talked about policy enforcement around user bases and, you know, and how that sometimes works. But I think the gamification side of the house has really been uh, taking traction. So on awareness side, I've seen companies and then um, have startups that have been created and then also seen within organizations, them organically doing this, is tying more of a carrot rather than a stick. So the whole notion of, okay, here's user awareness training, but maybe moving into a mobile app incentivizing them to take the training more often and even giving them swag or something as a benefit, right? For, for them passing uh, this awareness training. So it's the, the, the carrot and the stick, which is, I think, really important. And then the other piece too, I think the gamification is, is important, but I think really engaging your user base and telling them why, right? I mean, I think any organization, security otherwise, it's about conveying the why. You know, a CISO, when it comes to communication, it's not just, hey, this is what we do, uh, this is how we do it, but really conveying it to the rest of the company and other business organizations on the why. And the why is incredibly important because that's the only way you inspire people to action, right? So the why piece is important because now you really have to have them gain ownership. Right. So the why piece is something as simple too is when there is a recent attack that comes out, not just say you shall not do X, Y, and Z, but here's what happened. And this is how we are similar to that organization. And this is why you as a user shouldn't do X, Y, and Z. Right. So engaging at a different level with your user base and really educating them. Right. Not the awareness side. Awareness is the first step, but truly educating them. So that's important to me is, you know, it's not just the awareness piece. Uh, we talk about workforce development. I think we're going to get into here in a minute, but I mean, the awareness on users, I think is evolving, but I don't think it's evolving quick enough. 
Yeah, I mean, that's a good point, right? You got to drive. I mean, look, at security is getting pushed closer and closer to where applications are being developed, right? I mean, secure DevOps. I mean, everything's got to be, can't just be sitting in a sock, right? Everything's got to be out, you know, outside the security organization being done at, you know, the time things are occurring to kind of close those gaps so the gaps don't get bigger, right? So I, I love, you know, being able to push that out and you got to have that, you know, awareness within the organization. Um, so what are some of the things that Trend's doing in terms of the, the cyber workforce and uh, kind of how are you guys helping out in the community? So that's one of my um, uh, side jobs, so to speak, is really working and engaging with uh, universities. Um, uh, we created this uh, cyber education initiative and in engaging, you know, not only K through 12 from an awareness uh, side of the house, um, but also at uh, the university level. And, and the reason is, is it's twofold, right? One is, hey, truly that's where, you know, when you're talking about our future as, uh, as a cybersecurity industry, are those individuals that are just coming up and out, right? So engaging them early is critical because right now we have over, I think, 300,000 vacancies uh, in the United States, and it's supposed to globally grow to 3.5 million or something to that effect. So we know there's a cyber workforce skills gap. So our first step has been identifying universities, creating relationships and engagements. One such or, uh, university is uh, Florida International University. Created a great relationship, easy for me from the South Florida area as a native, but I think understanding the great work that they we're doing on workforce development and basically seeing how we can sort of create a technology transfer, but also an information transfer um, to the students. So finding out opportunities where we can donate uh, equipment uh, for research and student training, but also identifying areas where we could fund and, and support uh, research. A lot of the work that we're doing now is on IoT and uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning. So any time we can really engage uh, academia, it, it, it bears fruit in so many different ways. So not only from a workforce development piece, but also on a research side, right? Then I've always said research drives innovation, right? So I think it's critical for us to make that full circle. So us engaging universities at that level is one of the fun things I like to do. Very cool, man. All right. Yeah. Keep up the great work on that front. I mean, we've talked a lot about the workforce and the, you know, development and talent shortage. I mean, it's just everybody, you know, contributing back to the community. I mean, we all didn't get here without the help of uh, somebody else, but, um, you know, hold on one second and we'll be right back in a little bit. We've got to take another short break to hear from our sponsors, but don't go away folks. We'll be right back with more from our special guest, the chief cybersecurity officer from trend micro Ed Cabrera. You're listening to task force seven radio, the voice of cybersecurity. <laughs> Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. We're not your typical security vendor. In fact, the script for this ad was written by an engineer, not a marketing guru. Because at Sock Prime, we're focused on features that matter to our users. Our threat detection marketplace has over 30,000 cross-platform SIM and EDR rules. Our downloadable Sigma, Yara, and Snork detections can be deployed with just a few clicks. 
and are mapped to the MITRE ATT&CK framework, enabling quicker and more strategic detection. With support from SOC Prime's veteran team and our community of contributors, we bridge the blue team skills gap and cover emerging threats with daily releases of new content. Nearly three quarters of the threat detection marketplace is free to download. Register for free at tdm.socprime.com with promo code RADIO2019 to receive one free key to unlock premium content. That's tdm.socprime.com. Promo code RADIO2019. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community, advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem superconnector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at Secure. Security-innovation.org or Google Signet S-I-N-E-T. Account takeover is the fastest growing form of cyber attack. Criminals exploit compromised accounts for financial gain, often causing irreparable and long-term damage to finances and reputation. Many companies think they're protected. They believe using a password manager, multi-factor authentication, behavior-based technology, password rotations, or solutions that scan the deep and dark web is enough. Yet the account takeover problem only continues to get worse. SpyCloud combines human intelligence and automated technology to prevent account takeover for your customers and employees. We recover stolen credentials early in the account takeover lifecycle before the credentials are sold on dark forums. Check your exposure for free at spycloud.com. Email is having an identity crisis. It's just too easy for attackers to spoof trusted brands or even the government. That's why over 80% of email attacks are based on fake identities. The solution is to stop the fakes before they get to the inbox. That's why enterprises use Valley Mail. It's a trusted identity-based email security solution. Find out if your domain can be spoofed and request a complete free phishing analysis at valleymail.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's Task Force 7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, Chief Cybersecurity Officer for Trend Micro, Ed Cabrera. Ed, brother, we, you know, we've chatted a little bit about 
the remediation arms race, right? You know, getting that patch, you know, put in place before the exploit exists, you know, closing these gaps. You know, we've highlighted on this show previously the future of AI, where we think, you know, artificial intelligence is going to play a role in cyber and the future of that. But I'd love to, I feel like there's a little bit of an AI arms race out there. Um, can you give me your opinion on that? No, no, absolutely. I think, and one, it's a, another personal area of interest of mine, and, and I speak often on it, is, is the area of, of machine learning and AI uh, in cybersecurity. Um, I mean, I, I think when you look at uh, and pretty much answer the question of why is it happening now, right? Because we know that machine learning and AI has been around, right? Uh, and I think it's been this convergence of computational power uh, with this explosion, explosion of data, right? This exponential uh, uh, growth of data that uh, we are personally generating and as companies and organizations we're generating. So you bring that together, you add in the ability of uh, machine learning and AI. And so just to get the discussion framed up correctly, and we talk about AI, but, you know, and we talk about machine learning and oftentimes, unfortunately, we sort of equate the two when machine learning is actually just a subset of uh, artificial intelligence, right? Artificial intelligence is uh, this whole notion of trying to find ways where we can replicate um, the human thinking process, problem solving um, in, uh, in technology and computers. Uh, but machine learning is... Uh, sort of differently, right? So it's not just trying, it's not a replication of a human problem solving situation. It is trying to improve the machine learning process. So what do I mean by that is machines have been typically great at detecting um, things that are the same, exactly the same. Um, whereas people were much better at, at, at doing pattern recognition and similarity detection, right? Yep. Because we have our own personal experiences, but we have a collective experience, right? Because uh, be it formal learning, informal learning, we're able to make these, um, uh, taking these types of data inputs and making decisions off of them. So machine learning is that, but trying to improve the ability to do better similarity. So that's the goal. When you talk about machine learning in cybersecurity or, or any area, I mean, obviously, you know, AI and machine learning are, are pretty much touches every facet of our lives. Uh, Netflix, Google searches are, are driving habits and patterns using um, uh, driving apps and so forth. It's everywhere. Um, and it's only getting more so, right? Um, so how, so yeah, how you see that? How are you gonna see that playing out? Yeah, there you go. How are you gonna see that? Yeah, playing out? yeah, yeah. So from a cybersecurity perspective, you know, we were actually utilizing. Fred Micro was doing it from a uh, anti-spam back to uh, 2004, um, and trying to improve our ability to be able to detect and block spam. And so as 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 these models and, and data and the computational power has evolved, it's been really interesting in the cybersecurity side on how we do it. So pretty much now we're applying machine learning um, at pretty much every part of the process within our uh, security solution stack, you know, endpoint, endpoint network, cloud, gateway. Interesting research that we're doing, and we just put out a couple uh, 
pieces recently that really is driven into a product perspective. So from a, from a really interesting piece is, you know, we haven't talked about it here, is business email compromise, right? That threat is quite simple, but incredibly effective. And uh, I think the FBI was saying from 2013 to now, it's I think a $9 billion problem, right? So the big problem from- And growing. Oh, and growing, right, exactly. And the unique thing about that is, if you look at the different stages of an attack, you know, that reconnaissance phase is incredible on the business email compromise side. Because what they're doing is, because of the advent of social media and because of the way things are happening, they're actually getting a better insight very quickly into organizations and individuals and uh, those companies and organizations at the executive level. So what they're doing is, with that data, they're able to spoof emails and or compromise their email infrastructure and be able to spoof communications between one example is from the CEO to the CFO, right? To be able to then have them maliciously convince the, the, that CFO to transfer hundreds of thousands, not millions of dollars into overseas accounts. So that's the very simple attack, right? I mean, um, but a lot of that communication, there's no malicious link there's no, there's no uh, malicious file uh, attachment. So when you look at it, how do you, you know, go after this problem? So what we did was from a machine learning problem, um, started utilizing some of the foundation we've been doing at the spam level and sort of evolving that. And so what we've done is be able to fingerprint um, CEO and or executive uh, communications of your choosing with about 300 to 500 sample emails to be able to fingerprint that that uh, communication, right? Not only going at the metadata, which has been a traditional way of blocking and tackling these types of emails, but going after word usage, so the national language processing piece, going after saying, yeah, this is this is not what this particular CEO would write, for example, in their communication. And to be able to then send a notification almost instantaneously to the CEO and to the CFO and saying, to the CFO, this might be, you know, a malicious email, do not open. And hey, to CEO, you know, can you confirm or validate your communication to the CFO? So that's some of the areas. I mean, I think that we're, from a machine learning perspective, it's our writing style DNA, is that we're able to then from a research and then, you know, um, go into the innovation piece. Because it's truly, like you said, from an artificial intelligence side of the house, there is an arms race, right? So just as much as we want to improve our automation and our analytics, do a better job uh, from a protection and security perspective, they're going to and are doing it now, right? Because they want to improve their ability to uh, execute and monetize their attacks. So it, it's there, it's happening. And then you add in from a nation state perspective, um, you look at, the type of investment and the amount of investment coming out of say or going into artificial intelligence from a china's perspective right so we see it uh in some things that sort of percolate uh we were having uh this uh, this <laughs> notion of concern sort of percolated up with uh face app right um and it was this craze about how how uh, using machine learning and AI, they're able to quickly age these photos and look incredibly real, right? So you look at 
the technology, you look at the capability, and it is truly, you know, where we from a security industry are focused on not only to prove, improve our capabilities, but also try to predict where machine learning and AI can be leveraged from a threat actor perspective as well. So, uh, so there's um, a lot of good research going on. Uh, we just put out another uh, one recently about uh, utilizing uh, these generative adversarial uh, models to be able to be able to detect a campaign with one sample. Because this is this is really? this has been the machine learning piece, right? Machine learning has always said that you need a lot of data, right? Good and bad data, labeled, unlabeled, you name it, depending on the model you're using, you need data, right? The data pipeline is critical for machine learning. Now we're getting into the area of where, through research, we are proving that you don't need a lot of data. So we're able to, with one sample, utilizing these uh, uh, um, generative adversary models to be able to show we can detect a campaign with just one sample. So there is successes on our side, but you can only imagine as we proceed that there are successes that <laughs> they're not just, they're not publishing any of their successes on the threat actor side. So yeah, I mean, it, it, it is a problem that is here and it's a problem that it's going to grow. Um, but I think it's um, a lot of good and unfortunately there's going to be a lot of bad. Yeah, man, it's going to be an interesting, interesting space to watch for sure. <clears throat> you know, eventually see what comes out of, uh, you know, <clears throat> out of the research community here, and and really it comes out of the government, right? I mean, nations fighting nations with AI, and who's going to invest heavily and develop more? And there's just so much happening. Um, well, look, man, we're, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, it's been great having you on, and um, you know, hope to have you on again soon. And uh, best of luck at everything, and uh, you know, keep up the good work. Hey, Andy, no, it's awesome. Thank you for having me tonight. And um, yeah, like always, um, I'm here for you. <laughs> All right, brother. I appreciate it. All right, folks, it's time for us to bounce up on out of here. Before we go, I want to remind our listeners to visit the Cybersecurity Hub to get a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at www.cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay cool out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.